0: John, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks for coming by. It's my pleasure. Yeah, Mark. Man. thank you very uh, much. Yeah. Between writing and music and art, you're creating all the time, it seems.
1: I, I, it seems, yes, it does. Yeah, seem, does it not it seem like that seem to you? Like that. I don't know. I just, I can't say that, you know, sometimes people, artists come across. Um, a little uh, sounding a little pretentious when they say that they're easily bored, as though they need um, excessive stimulation. I wouldn't say that I was easily bored. I mean, maybe it's because I I do so much, but it doesn't. It's it's all so relative because it doesn't seem like I do uh, over much, unless you a b comparison me to someone who's terribly trammeled, you know or has produced some you know wonderful thing and then has the burden of trying to chase that particular thing you know yeah. has that um, like a sort of Damocles over their head. I mean, because we started out modestly, <laughs> you could say, in a, you know, in, and humbly, um, I never had that problem to think, oh, wow, you know, I, I'll never be as good as my first, because you can think of innumerable bands who put out a, a wowing first album, and then just forever lived, you know, under the shadow of that, but that was not the case here. I mean, I'd, I just do a lot of stuff because no one's stopping me yet. <laughs> That's part of it. No, no one's put a put the brake. The only person who could really stop me is me. I threaten yeah. to, you know, I threaten to sometimes. Yeah. But it, those are those are those are boy crying, artistic wolf. They're really, yeah. uh, you know, probably. I, I mean, a lot of times I get. Uh, people remonstrate with me or my friends and say, just stop saying that you're going to quit making art because you're just, you're not. You're never going to quit. Until you're dead. Probably not. not. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's that, just that creative fire that's always just going to be burning. Even if you put it aside for a little while, I think something will always pull you back like, you know, magnetically. Yeah, you
1: know what this is about yourself. You know, you know what, you know how exciting it is. You know, I see your guitar in the corner there, you know, just, um, it's exciting to find out what, what, what eventuates from any kind of, you know, endeavor or session, just to see, just to almost be surprised if you're uh, at least cognizant enough of trying not to repeat yourself. And maybe you do, who knows, you know, who's, whatever you know, whatever writer or musician has ever been a great judge of his or her own stuff. Yeah. Very, very few, a lot of times people go, oh, this is our best record. Oh, Paul McCartney said that about absolute, you know, rubbish records, uh, yeah. you know, before, like, um, but because we don't know necessarily. Yeah.
0: Just kind of taking a shot in the dark and creatively. Um, how does your brain sort of process, like work in terms of fluctuating between music and art and writing? Um do you set aside certain periods of time to do that during the day at certain various I d- times? I
1: don't. I'm not that um, terribly meticulous or organized. I just sort of go where the, where the inspirational wind blows, you yeah. know? I mean, it's funny because, you know, poetically, traditionally... The the West Wind has been or Zephyrus, um, if you want to you know throw some Chaucer in there. I was just reading The Canterbury Tales again, not too long ago. You know, like the wind has been associated with this ire of ins- uh, this notion of inspiration, and you know, like that also comes from you know. Um, Taking taking a breath and or uh, be, have being inspirited to. So I, I think if I chained myself to a desk or a couch, you know, instead the way that Paul Simon is said, is meant to the is said to do like he goes into a room from or you know eight time. till eleven in yeah. the morning or something, and you know, and forces himself. himself to run. I think it would resemble too much the thing that a lot of us are attempting to shun or escape from, which is, you know, the notion of a, of a proper job. Um, so I don't, uh, although I'm very disciplined, I'm also often inspired. And it's usually, you know, by um, something that I feel as though um, I have to put down because it strikes me as beautiful or meaningful. Um, or I've heard something or read something that makes me want to answer it, like it's a conversation, you know, you hear a song and go, oh, wow, I'm going to write something in response um, to that, even if it's a song that just I'm irked by, you know, maybe that's another you know, point of potential inspiration at least. Anger is an energy to quote another, you know, like great like Chaucer, John Lydon of the Sex Pistols, you know, yeah, right? yeah. It's so if you get pissed off about something or just blissfully, you know, um, euphoric over over something, either one can result in um, the stimulus uh, to, you know, to to try to make something of your own.
0: Do you feel I like, think. do you get uh, it, caught in sort of a cycle where if you're working on a book or an album or a song or whatever, a piece of art that your concentration obviously is fully, you know, focused on that for a certain period of time that it must ha- it must have to be, right? Or can you write half a book and then put it down and then, do an album and then go back to the book. You know what I mean, or is um, it like sort of yeah, like?
1: Yeah, no, I don't. It doesn't necessarily have to be an all or nothing kind of yeah. um, scenario. Um, bec- especially because time in the studio. I mean, we've we've be- characteristically, historically, the Black Watch has begged, borrowed, and <laughs> stealed, <laughs> and stealed, and stolen St- studio time. Los Angeles being a place where there's you know a plethora in the true sense of the wor- word of Of studios because there's so many great studios that aren't being used because so many artists these days figure that they can just do things on on Pro Tools or Logic on on their own. So there there are these, but there was a heyday really in the '90s where there were so many studios, and you know if you're friendly enough and you you have you know the engineers and producers who may take pity on you in some ways and go oh you know I'll do a song for you guys here and there for a a decent rate. you can't. In other words, what I'm saying is, we've never really blocked out, had the luxury of blocking time. out, you know, two months in the studio the way that, you know, the old old school kinds of bands might have done, or bands on major labels, you know, uh, perhaps have done. And you know, in some in some cases, to their, um, you know, detriment in a way, because sometimes you can overthink it, mm-hmm. or you know, find yourself so so in debt, it's not even. Funny. I mean, yeah. sometimes when you hear the amount of money that's been spent making a record, and you think maybe you know, gosh, that that might get you know, again, resemble back to the motif of a job. It might resemble a kind of a drudgery, to have some English friends, wonderful band called Damn Vandals. Um, who live in London and I go and stay with, with, with them, and they come and stay here, and um, we're such great pals. And they they marvel at the amount of time that that, I, that we've spent, because they always go like, we just we go a week in the studio, do them as much as we can live, and get out of there. So yeah. that's that. But yeah, they overlap a lot. You know, they uh, to, you know to address the question directly, they they overlap a lot, and I don't need to just solely compartmentalize. No.
0: Cool. So you just kind of keep the inspiration fresh wherever it might take you, and more or less. Yeah, I
1: mean, it takes a lot longer. I started the band because I wrote a novel when I finished my PhD um, that was set in London where I'd lived for a year after after college, and um, I realized I got 500 pages into it, and it was totally plotless, <laughs> and, I, and I realized that I could, I could write two songs in the time that it took me to write a page. Of, of prose because I was at that time, I was so incredibly meticulous and felt as though everything had to be so, you know. Crafty. absolutely perfect one yeah. sense. I mean, I'm still a little bit like that, but I don't know if you've found this yourself. that the more you do something, the easier it, it gets rather than the harder that it gets. Sure. Um, so that, that's, that's certainly the case with, with, with writing with writing prose at least.
0: And you have a PhD in English? You mm-hmm. went to school for English? Yeah. yeah.
1: I just, I didn't, I wanted to stay in school as long as <laughs> there's yeah. maybe a theme that's, been a, that's emerging here of, you know, of wanting, you know, to, uh, as a way to avoid somehow to, you know, avoid the big bad world of, you know, going to graduate school as a way to keep from having to go get a job after I, you know, finish my, my bachelor, bachelor's. But, you know, I was also really inspired. I just, I just, I wanted to learn as much and take, take it as, as far as I possibly could. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's not necessarily like I really had a desperate desire to be an academic. It's just I got so into the subject, you know, that, you know, maybe that that obsessive compulsiveness carries over to, you know, every aspect, I suppose, of my life in particular. And you taught for a while as well. Yeah, I taught taught for 25 years at the college level at a bunch of different, I would refer to myself as a, a kind of a glorified migrant worker. I went all over, I taught at many different universities. And junior colleges.
0: Um, did you enjoy? I mean, was teaching was that enjoyable yeah, for you? Yeah, sure. Or was that a necessary you know, yeah, was
1: working with students and being paid to talk about literature, and you know, I got to teach film as well at USC um, for a couple of years. Um, I, you know, maybe just sort of you could just say I bamboozled them into into letting me do that because I didn't really have a film degree. Um, but yeah, it was it was wonderful. I had a lot, you know, a number, many, many, many great students and many great classes down the years. And it was it was uh, you know administrations and um, overlords and overseers that I you know didn't enjoy that yeah. sort of thing. I think I went I went to a meeting one time at, at, at the one of the one of the five years that I was at USC and the chair you know like stopped in the middle of his discussion and said John what are you doing here you don't come to these meetings I'm not a great um, schmoozer or mixer or yeah. you know likewise. Team player. Yeah, that's not, and that creates problems in a, in a realm where the, you know that's they really look at you, uh, and, uh, despite how 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 open minded and liberal uh, academia, academia ostensibly is, it it isn't. Then you're looked at askance if you don't go to meetings and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I would you know I'd wear a suit and tie and go barefoot, and hold sometimes <laughs> I hold my office hours at the pub. Yeah, to say like at UCSB I had you know. Um, back in the 80s I had drinks with the professor like that's of the <laughs> greatest memories I've had you guys are coming to the pub but you know in the last decade or so that you know that wouldn't be a of cool thing upon. very yeah. much found scowled yeah, yeah. upon more
0: than yeah, anything yeah uh, times have changed very um, much yeah. so yeah and you're talking about film a little bit you have a book uh, that you wrote uh, on Wes Anderson's films yeah, yeah.
1: I I um, He's, that's one of those interesting things that I just, the first time I saw Bottle Rocket, I didn't get it. I mean, some of the my favorite m- music is something that I absolutely loathed the first time. I saw Rushmore twice before I even liked it. <laughs> no, I, but I knew that there was something there that I should like, and that yeah. I should investigate. But it just wasn't. You know, I, yeah, I mean, it didn't click. Connecting. And then the third time I saw it, I thought, "This is absolutely brilliant." Royal Tenenbaums too. So I wrote. I, I I kept teaching Anderson's first three films because those are the only ones that I like. I think he became a parody of himself after that. It's really sad. It's very sad when so many people know that I wrote the, the book Fucking Innocent, the first, um, the early films of Wes Anderson. You know, will say, like, oh, you know, he's got a new film coming out. Aren't you excited? And the answer is no. I mean, yeah. I think he really, he really sort of peaked. But I turned, you know, teaching those films into a bunch of notes, and it just a book came from that. And it's funny because the publisher, he's a big film guy. Um, Tyson Cornell at, at Rare Bird and he was, he was going, why didn't you write a book on Whit Stillman? And I go, I love Whit Stillman, I didn't have anything to say, he's such a literary director yeah. you know, his films explicate themselves, Tyson was going like oh, I hate Wes Anderson you know, and a, lot of peop- a lot of people do think of his, you know, of him as way too precious and way too quaint and way too stylized and you know, all of the above and self-reflexive but you know, I had these very literary kind of readings of the film to try to show that they were incredibly artistic and literary and of course there's the use his use of music you know of the kinks or the who yeah. um or nick drake or sonic youth or, or velvet underground or whatever so which which it just was fun to you know talk about that too how many how many filmmakers are using arthur lee and love in their in their movies right. and stuff so you know that, that was very hip
0: yeah, so you you follow like you had something to say yeah, on his more I
1: felt a lot to say. I don't think there was a. I don't. I think the the year that my book came out, two other books on Anderson's um, films um, were published, and I think they tried to cover cover the entirety of the oeuvre, or they were more like a fan's perspective. But this was you know a academic, but you know hip and groovy you know with this kind of slangish Lester Bangsy sort of approach to to the diction you know explications of those films you know to try to make people enjoy them and you know, be very personal about the criticism because you know it's not I'm not I'm certainly not a fan. nobody can be a fanboy if you just cut off a person's career. You know you can't say you really love the Beatles if you go, "Oh man, after help, it was over. <laughs> <laughs> like, forget you don't really right. like the Beatles then if you right. didn't carry on to magical and you know, pepper and all that. so you know, there you go.
0: I want to talk about your band, of course, the Black Watch, but while we're on the topic of books. Um, You also wrote the King of Good Intentions, and there's a sequel to that. Yeah, they have really good. I was just checking it out on Amazon; like excellent reviews. A lot of people are digging that book. Is that is that based on your life? Well,
1: you would say that it was. (laughs) If it's a if it's about a um, you know a, a front guy who falls in love with a bandmate. And um, was also a substitute teacher. <laughs> Those are all <laughs> very strange incriminating. Yeah. <laughs> Those if it's are not <laughs> terribly incriminating, and the and and the drawing on the cover of the first King of Good Intentions, you know, greatly resembles was done by my old friend and band, ex bandmate Steve Scher. Greatly resembles me, and you know, somewhat resembles Janet Jacoby, who was my bandmate and you know girlfriend for ten years. Um, too. So it's un- kind of undeniable. It would be very disingenuous for me to say it wasn't based on my life. But, you know, at the same time, um, it's highly fictionalized and or exaggerated, you know, for, for one hopes, comic effect. Anytime anybody says, oh, I really want to read your book or anytime I say to someone, we're friends, I can't believe you've never read one of my books. Because yeah. Good reviews, not such high sales or anything, you know, their mark. But um, you know, I often just go. You know, uh, you know, you. you I, I I would I would urge you to read it if you enjoy to laugh because that was the goal for me to 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 write. You know, the, the four works of fiction that I have out just to make myself laugh and to make other people laugh. I think it's one of those pleasures that maybe even harks back to primary school when you know if you said something funny and one of your classmates spouted his lunch milk out his nose that was a great day that was a triumph to make someone laugh and especially with something they they've read because in this dark you know god forsaken world there's there isn't enough funny writing I don't think there's all kinds of you know terribly dramatic and Gloom and doom kind of stuff, but you know how many uh, it's not that easy to make people laugh, and that that was my goal i just no. 've often guaranteed the book to people a money back sort of thing I go if you don't laugh out loud at least three times you know i'll get i'll, I'll buy it back from you because <laughs> it just wasn't for you or I don't want to say you don't have a good sense of humor, but yeah. you know that's the. Th- that's that was the goal.
0: I think it's way more difficult to write something that's funny than it is to 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 play on someone's emotions and write something depressing. Because it's easier to do that. You could just automatically tap into their sympathy, you know, sure. gateway. Sure. But to make someone genuinely laugh, I think is is a challenging thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I would love to do that. And as I said, it's just you know, my parents are both dead. I guess I'm an orphan now, but, you know, uh, despite the fact that I had a very deeply oppressive Lutheran upbringing, um, you know, hellfire and brimstone and stuff, at the same time, they really liked to laugh. It was just, you know, they, they relished the fact that I was a funny funny kid, so that's, you know, there's a precedent there of getting mummy and daddy's approval Attention. by, yeah. you know, cracking him up and stuff, because they both had... Um, almost little kid like senses of humor you know like they, they just they, they love to giggle they were they, yeah. they were really funny themselves you know so there you go
0: yeah that's that's cool it all harks back yeah. to childhood yes, whatever right. you were like as a kid is right. gonna
1: be with you forever and sure you know, hopefully you can make it better, you know, for people I know who didn't have great, g- great childhoods, I just go, well, maybe you can spin that and make that work in, to your advantage. Because a lot of times if you had a brilliant childhood that was just totally idyllic, uh, uh, being an adult turns out to be a giant disappointment. You yeah. <laughs> kind of just going, wow, this wasn't like how it was like for me as a kid. Yeah. This is, ter- this is terribly disappointing. So either way, you know, it's a bit, Kind of you know, gears you up for the real world. You're nailed either either way. <laughs> you had a wonderful childhood. You had a terrible one, you know, et cetera. But at least you know, for people who had just you know not so not so hot ones, you know, you can certainly make it much better than than it was. Perhaps
0: was it? it I, I'm assuming that it's for me. I wrote a screenplay called Going Solo. It's based on my life, but I had to change certain things to make it sort of easier to write basically sure uh was it similar for you like by basing it in reality you were able to deal with those things you obviously knew a lot about those things yeah, but by I mean, changing yeah, some elements yeah.
1: i think you know um that's that that's that hemingway-esque kind of thing about writing what you know about and you know a lot of times people's first screenplays and or novels are quasi autobiographical so um you know absolutely that's that's the case and i i think that yes um Changing things to protect the guilty, as you know Nabokov <laughs> says in Lolita or whatever, are really good. Even if you're you yourself are the one who's the guilty one, you know, it's pretty necessary for you to sort of get the thing, get the get thing it out, out there. Yeah. yeah, and plundering your own life—what do you know better, you know, than that? So I think that that's you know that's certainly advisable. In fact, you know, to to write what you know about. So there you go.
0: Um. So, The Black Watch, you, you started in 88? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's when
1: the first record came out. So, we would have started shortly before that. Before 88, yeah, practicing, like, writing it, songs. Say 87 was the first time I started rehearsing with people.
0: And you moved down here from Santa... Or down here, right? From Santa I moved,
1: Barbara? I moved two, two years... Or one year after St. Valentine, the first record came out. I got divorced, um, took a job writing for a bi-weekly paper as the... Food, music, theater, um, ice cream critic, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> anything. They would send me on these things like go get a massage and write about it. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was, I, you know, I got a job in journalism um, for, uh, and I was fired after about six or seven months. It was run by these kids who were the descendants of Bob Hope, and they were super, super conservative. Okay. Yeah, they were really super conservative, so they re- very much questioned any of my political beliefs, which I didn't want to drag into any working equation. Right, I don't want to drag eternalism. those things into music. Yeah, yeah. Political bands, how many minds, I always say, like, how many minds did The Clash really change? You know, you know probably pre- preaching to the converted. or how in-depth can you get about any socio-political thing in a three-minute... You know song any old way, um, but yeah, so I, I left Santa Barbara, and in part it was because, um, the musicians that I was working with there and the the general climate, musical climate there was not very serious. I knew that I'd have to come to a big city, so I kind of flipped a coin between here and San Francisco, where my very closest best friend, Brad DeViro, from when I was in fourth grade and was with my college roommate and he lived in San Francisco with his wife and I thought I'll either I'll go there and start a band there's a bunch of bands up there that I, I, I think I really like like Wire Train or um, American Music Club uh, Band this band called The Ophelias um, on Rough Trade on, but I, it landed on head so I went south <laughs> 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 so it was all it really was a coin down flip to the coin yeah, it, was, it could have easily you know back in in the late 80s, seen myself living in San Francisco or Los Angeles, either one. It just it was just the fate of the toss.
0: So, how'd you hook up with the guys in the band at that point, or
1: well, a girl? Girl's I, uh, well, I, I. Took out an ad. That's what yeah. you know. Recycler or uh, what was you know Craigslist would have taken its place now. Right. That um, I, I took out the you know the the equivalent of a of a Craigslist ad, and I in print. And I met this guy, this drummer who, or actually a bass player, had contacted me as a result of the first cassette, saying, "Hey, if you ever come and live in L.A., I would like to you know um, be in your band." And we found this drummer who had a practice shed. And then uh, uh, taking a break one time as a trio, we kn- I knew I had to get. I don't I don't uh, I don't relish trios. I like two guitars or two instruments, lead instruments at least. A little yeah, the interplay or something. of that. Yeah. Um, but then um, we were taking a break, and we knew we'd had to try to find some other other player. And upstairs in this giant house near Western, um, this beautiful violin music was coming, and that was being played by Jana Jacoby, who eventually joined the band. And... Um, just, I thought, wow, that sounds absolutely beautiful. And when she came down to take a break, she was giving a lesson to a kid, a violin lesson. She was working as a secretary. She'd never played rock before. she played old time, done old time fiddling, but, you know, um, most mostly, you know, classical. And I said, I, I met her and she was beautiful and she was really cool. And she liked a lot of pop music, like the church and the psychedelic furs that was Okrant, you know, that still I love to this day. And I asked her if she'd like to, try playing with us we need another person we can't i can't be a trio i've gotta gotta have another person and she she, you know, learned a few songs. She went off to Hawaii. She took the album, the first album, off to Hawaii on cassette and listened to it on her Walkman and came back and said, this is really good. You know, she never, she's the type of person with such high standards and she's so brilliantly trained that she would never go mental, going like, you guys are amazing. She'd go like, um, you know, there's some really pretty good songs yeah, yeah. there. But I think she was, you know, quite excited. So she started playing... Um, rehearsing with us and then you know up until the time she joined Rod Stewart's band in 2001 she you know she was in the band and
0: she joined Rod Stewart's band yeah after the, she joined
1: yeah. she was she was st- uh, still in the indie rock world for maybe six or seven months at the same time that she got poached um, to go and, and join the circus I call it you know to be in Stewart's band but yeah she tried to toggle both worlds and it, it, it didn't work you know because she had too many commitments and she was making great money and that's where that's really where she belonged and on you know on a jumbotron not on a thursday night in you know in norman oklahoma (laughs) yeah uh, so in a club that that holds a hundred
0: was that a a hard transition when she Mm, left you
1: know um more more romantically than musically because she also didn't really want to play she played a mean guitar A very naive mean guitar. She didn't know, um, you know. I don't know if you've you had yourself had guitar lessons or anything, but she just was the type of person who taught herself chords. Sometimes she'd show us these really, really weirdly shaped chords that resembled violin chords, and she goes, "What's that?" And I'd go, "No, I have no idea." And then she'd play a regular old D chord mark, and and she goes, "What's this?" I go, "That's a D chord. You don't even know what a D chord is. Like that's great. Don't even learn it. Don't even learn it. You know, it was very, it was very." rock but yeah. for a virtuosic kind of musician it was really it was fun for her to play guitar so to to this day she's of the four or five guitar players that have been in the band over down the years she's you know one of you know maybe my favorite because she just came up with such weird phrasings of things and you know she's so musical hi Jana if you're listening to this she's you Know uh, absolutely fine now, off in that, off in that world. She's been off in that world for geez, gosh, now it would be 17 or 18 she's years. Now. Still, does, yeah, does Rod Stewart still? I don't know, play? we're not in yeah. touch, but yeah, she's yeah. still, she's still in, I'm pretty sure she's still in Stewart's band, wow. you know, That's a long time. probably to be found in Vegas. Well, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's good, it's a nice job of yeah, good sure. work if you can get it, like, yeah.
0: Um, th- so is the lineup still? Uh, you have Rick uh, Woodard on drums, mm-hmm. Chris uh, Rackard. Yes, is that Chris right on Rack-
1: bass. Chris Rackard and Andy Creighton, Creighton. on guitar. Yeah, yeah.
0: And um, and then this is the new sort of. That's the latest you know, incarnation. Yeah, yeah. It's the you know. That's How long one has, has the... that lineup been together?
1: Um, well, it's just it's. Uh, I think Chris has played for ten years. and Rick has been in on and off he's been in some other bands and Andy Creighton has his own really wonderful band called The World Record Um, he's another guy you know it would be good for you to um, bring on on your podcast um, too he's a very knowledgeable guy and funny guy and um, serious guy about songwriting and, and about music in general and You know, just like people like him and my friend Ben Eschbach from a a band called The Sugar Plastic, who were on Geffen in the '90s, that he he just came to this roundtable artist meeting that you I'll certainly invite you to next time that I've been having. uh, I've had a couple of these at Tex, the French restaurant there in Echo Park. Um, I've I've had all my artist friends um, come and just kind of talk shop, you know, I've sort of um, urged them as I handed them a shot this last time of whiskey to <laughs> say like, well, you know, there were maybe 15 people showed up this last week um, well, we missed Andy this time but he'll come to the next one um, but, you know, sort of like go talk to somebody you've never met before it's one well, of great pleasure in my life to you know uh, introduce somebody i know who's a good chum to somebody else who's a good chum who've never met and for them to hit it off one hopes and go off and be friends on their own and don't even include me in a way and <laughs> right. you know, i think that's another it's like making people laugh for me that's a great pleasure in life Um, too, to turn people on, not just to music or books, but to each other. So I've been having these kind of roundtable forums at this, you know, lounge French sports bar, we call it the greatest French sports bar in America, at Tex, um, just to have people talk about what they're doing and what it means and... Boy, you know, it was just really I had to I had to pluck a couple people away from people they were already friends with to say, here, come and sit down next to my friend Sumishta. She's just in from London. She's had a band for years. Yeah. On and off and, you know, yeah, I want you guys to just talk about what what you do. So That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean it's just alighted on, on this, this notion, you know, about six months ago. So, you know, I'll certainly invite you to the I next love one. To They're go. really yeah. cool people, you know, uh, turn up and yeah, we don't have anybody who's not Cool. It's not about bragging or you know trying to get something out of uh, out of it, other than just you know stimulation and ideas and you know fellowship, if you will. Definitely. Yeah.
0: No, that's great for especially someone like you're saying, like myself too. Like I don't really go to places and mingle. I'm not good at that. That's never really been my thing. Yeah. I don't. I mean,
1: my days of doing that are are over. Yeah. I mean, how many many's the time. Uh, here where my friend, my more industry friends who aren't artists, but who are in the business will say, Oh, you have to go to this. You've got to go. And you know, anytime once again, it becomes a sort of an obligation, you know, like they're South by Southwest often throws parties in various cities, um, as they're going recruiting, uh, sponsors, uh, you know, and booth holders and stuff. And a good friend of ours, ex manager has worked for South by for a long time. And, um, She's invited me to these mixers before, and there's nothing more utterly unsatisfying <laughs> and awkward. You know, no amount yeah. of free drinks is gonna you know, get you <laughs> stuck it. with yeah. somebody who's in marketing <laughs> at Virgin Records, right. who's got no, you know. Yeah. So there, you know, this is much more. That sounds you know, this cool. is All about just talking about art and music and life and, um, and how to do it more better. You know, et cetera. You uh,
0: just kind of brought something to my mind. Do you have a video, uh, Get Me Out of Echo Park? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is beautifully shot but it kind of seems to be like sort of about the sort of gentrification or hipster yeah, invasion yeah it very much
1: lambasts the whole yeah. hipster thing that was shot by an ex student of mine a couple ex students of mine have been, you know gone on into the film realm and you know been fans of the band and done something but that was actually was shot from stock footage that my friend you know um, Frank Weinert who directed it uh, in in chicago he just he just got got some you know archived footage and stuff to cobble that together um as a you know because he'd lived in los angeles and i mean i think it might be for certain people it's a little too overt You know, um, making fun of the your your Coachella hat chick type of guy and you know bearded (laughs) hipster, you know guy with the braided beard that's sculpted or something like that with his designer coffee, etc. Yeah, because that's really what my neighborhood has become. It's just Mm -hmm. it really it it really one is tempted in one's most impish, you know, Harlequin sort of ways to walk around just going. You do realize that Coachella is over, right? That's, if people have a sense of humor, sure. But yeah, I mean, uh, my neighborhood's changed. That's why I was saying, you know, uh, looking around your neighborhood here in a different part of Los Angeles, I was going, you know, this is just so not not really hipstered out and in, in the way that Echo Park is. It's still kind of rooted in older families and you know yes the industry is there and Howard Hughes's house is right up the street yeah. and, you know blah 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 but it's just not so particularly much of a, you know a, a parade as it were so
0: have you always lived in the same neighborhood or no
1: I lived on I lived in Santa Monica when I first came here it was sort of parallels my teaching career I moved all over the place mm. I lived in Santa Monica I lived on um, in Miracle Mile you know close to the LACMA for a number of years Um, I lived in Silver Lake and then I was exiled from Silver Lake because they sold the little bungalow that I rented you know and so um, then on a Hail Mary I had to go off and do some shows in England you know I just found a little place in Echo Park and I you know parked there for the past 10 years or 15 or 12 to see you know to watch the changes almost like some kaleidoscope (laughs) inside my window of how I think you know much of much of modern urban America is rapidly shifting. You might say that, you know, that's uh, people who who come from Albuquerque might say the same thing about how it's just, it's not the same.
0: It's the same, yeah, where I was from in New York. I grew up and most recently lived before I moved here in about an hour north of, the city uh new york city in a place called beacon which at one point was totally run down and burnt out yeah. and now they're selling apartments for a million dollars and you know it's yeah, that's like crazy
1: yeah yeah my kid chandler who's lived in new york for the past seven or so years and then he came back for a couple of years and now he's gone back and now he wants to come back he lives in queens because he goes that's the only authentic place i agree anymore. queens is the cool you know, yeah. Queens would have been denigrated the way Staten Island would have been too, you know. And it's so funny to think all of his really fun, really creative, cool, hip, bartender, college graduate friends that he hangs with, that they all, you know, they were the origin, original kind of Brooklyn cool cool kids and now they couldn't afford to live in Brooklyn. They all moved back to Manhattan. Yeah. So, you know, it's a topsy-turvy world, you know, wherever. Yeah. I'm not surprised to hear, a, a, you know... a. Uh, a, a, a quaint, rundown, rustic place an hour north of New York had, had suddenly yeah. become the, the the hit place to live.
0: I totally agree. I lived in Greenpoint too in Brooklyn, and it was just so expensive. Yeah. And I have my my best friend was living in Astoria in Queens, and I said the same exact thing. It just feels more real here. It's not overrun with this uh, sort of you know hipster environment skyrocketing prices and stuff yeah it feels just like you said more families just more rooted in reality
1: well i mean it these places have also been you know along with los angeles have or seattle or austin have characteristically been places where um scenes begin but i think uh, someone very sagely said not too long ago that if you were, if you were really young, if I were younger than me sure. and ambitious, you know, to move to some place like Norman, Oklahoma, or Lincoln, Nebraska, or you know, Montana or somewhere to try to to to, to be an artist where it wasn't such a daily struggle, um, somehow. And I think this has also been you know, um, pointed out, you know, and, and lamented on, on the, on the behalf of people like my son, who's a very talented songwriter and singer much more than I am, but you know, he's, he does it mostly for, for, for fun and, pleasure you know he just he kind of says look you know there's so much nepotism these days in the realms of you know you look at you know an actor or actress or a screenwriter or or producer or a musician you know there's so many of them We were kids of you know two of the women who were in the opening band for Bauhaus at the other I got you know a a ticket to go see oh how was that show um you know I kept waiting I'm 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 much more loving rocket sky I kept waiting for for Peter Murphy to disappear and Love and Rockets to emerge (laughs) I I greatly prefer Love and Rockets to Bauhaus I like dark music a lot of it I like Sisters of Mercy I like you know The Mission I like I like Joy Division you know um, heaps but, I'm, you know, there's something about it. I like Peter Murphy solo. Yeah, yeah. But I just, you know, I kept just hoping that hoping they would that. do <laughs> Love and Rockets songs because Love and Rockets are so much more my cuppa. But it was it was really good. Kevin Haskins is a monster drummer. Daniel Lash is an incredible guitar player. It's just, I, I saw him Love and Rockets back in the day. I just yeah, wish that would have been That stuck with you. You know, yeah. would have been it.
0: Sorry, I diverted what you were saying. Oh, no, it's yeah, quite all yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. None of this means anything, yeah. Mark. It doesn't mean <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> The Tasmanian devil agrees. He woke up. It doesn't, up, yes. it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Yeah.
0: But When you look, because you have your 17 records in.
1: And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, when you look back at the career, I mean, you also just put out a, or not just, but a, a while ago put out a sort of a best of uh, Well, yeah, this the, the label
1: that we've been on, Adam Records in Dayton, Ohio, they when I was back in the the Midwest doing some acoustic shows last year, I had a meeting with Scott Kennison, the head of that label, and he said, look, if we put out just the next record... Uh, which is called Magic Johnson the one that came out with 31 Years of Obscurity the best of he said if you just John if you just do one more record it's just gonna suffer the same fate let's try to make a big splash let's put out all the stuff that has heretofore not been released that was just on vinyl and let's do a new best of a two CD retrospective and and the new record and let's put them out all at the same time and Time Magazine no less Scott was fantasizing you know Time Magazine will take no because this is a great American unsuccess story, <laughs> to coin a phrase, and uh, you know, just it, it it didn't it it didn't necessarily explode. I think you know we sold we sold some records, but it you know was it was I think it really you know dashed. I haven't talked to him about it but it may have dashed everybody's hopes. I didn't expect that sort of thing to happen but it was wonderful that that he had that vision to try to make this giant. I mean you can get everything we've ever done for $39 from adamrecords.com, you know, on a USB uh, stick yeah. or something, and you know I don't know what that is. I have a flip phone, and I'm still an AOL. I mean, I don't do that. I have music. I'm gonna get a a, a, a record or a CD. So there you go. But or do a cassette.
0: you do you think that the days though of a wild success are kind of over for rock? I don't know because I never I
1: never got in. I mean, do you do music to become a wild no, success? Not at all. I don't. I I don't think I ever really wanted to be famous. Yeah. Uh, I certainly wanted to. I certainly want to make money enough money yeah. to keep doing it but even though I haven't made a heap of money except for the few times where our stuff has been plucked out of the obscure uh, out of uh, obscurity and put in you know film and TV which is something everybody covets um, I I think I've done it because I again because I can and it almost becomes uh, it almost becomes a snickering snickeringly you know whimsical badge of honor for for us to have continued to put out stuff without that you know golden plaque of commercial success being because we've had heaps of praise but you can't eat your press as they say yeah you know um so for us to continue to do this without a just giant giant financial boon somehow is I don't know it's just it becomes a kind of a you know uh, something to make make us feel bemused you know at the at the whole thing um
0: I think it was like kind of what we said in the beginning like it's just never you're never going to quit because you have that in You and that's just who you are. Well, you know? I keep
1: on failing, Mark. I've, keep, <laughs> I've always said that I've tried it every but, time I've made a record, I've tried to make the White Album. Yeah, being such a, a Beatle maniac, but, and but I who failed. Said, but who I will said you never failed? make something yeah. as good as the White Album, but I will try because it's you know, it's not. You know, but I guess it's like it's what not you- possible. But you know, you still try to do something like that to yeah. make a bunch of different, you know, disparate sounding but of a piece kind of songs, and have them all have some of them rock and some of them. Be you know childlike and plaintive, and some be very folky, and some be very drony and etc. You know, try to you know ha- have a mess of genres all amalgamated in one collection. And I'll never do it as well as you know those four guys, that four-headed monster. But I'll always you know try somehow. Yeah. So you know, I know that I'll have a goal. Goal there. I think lots lots of artists. You know, people whom you consider gods and goddesses you know, of their particular, you know, forms or genre, genres would go like, that's a failure. I, that, you know, if you ask T.S. Eliot what, you know, the wasteland was, he might uh, go like, oh, I didn't really achieve what I'd hoped to achieve. And Lennon wanted to record every other, you know, every Beatles song all over again. And, you know, that's mad. That's absolutely crazy. But not to him, because it didn't, it didn't match up with his the vision of that. And I don't know that we can necessarily ever do that. And that's sort of, you know, it's kind of like sex. You have to keep doing You have to do it again to remember. You can't stow or sleep. You can't just stow it away and have it, like, put in the fridge or something. You have to keep on doing it to, 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 make, it re, to make it real, to realize it.
0: So is that kind of the driving factor that's going to keep you going, the fact that you'll probably never... Please yourself, I guess.
1: Well, I do please myself because yeah. I go, you know, I got close, you know, just sort of like the team. I mean, it finds it, it finds a parallel in my. I play tennis, you know, I try to play five days a week. It finds a parallel in my tennis life. I don't care if I win. I don't. I know so many people, many of whom I play with, who are desperate to win. They want to win doubles. They want to win a singles match. They want to win the next point. They want to take it off you. And I just want to play well. I don't. If I lose to somebody six three you know not six love that isn't you know there but i lose to somebody six three or six four and i played my heart out and i i made good shots and the other guy you know our girl was better i'm ha- i'm happy i walk out of there just going that was really good i didn't i'm I, i'm not a pro and i guess i guess that you could say that also about me as an artist i'm not a pro because pros make a bloody living out of this, and I haven't done that, that's for sure.
0: Well, there's a lot of though musicians that maybe never struck like what we consider the big time, but are amazing musicians. Like, so some people, like, I will listen to the Black Watch and be like, Wow, these are amazing songs, okay. Thank but you. maybe, maybe I don't know, like, you have to. I feel like maybe someone I would have to convince, like, you're saying, like. There's something that feels to you that they're not as good as they could be.
1: No, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I would, I would just say that they're that they've never
0: reached the vision that's in your oh, they'll head.
1: They'll never be as good as the Beatles, you know. Like that that's all. You know, like if you, I but mean, that's anything, right? Of, of course, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's In some anything. way that you could say that that's that that's dreadfully masochistic to compare yeah. yourself to such Olympian heights. But I don't, I don't mind that. I think of any, I think that any, if, uh, to a to a kid, you know, right now wanting to be anything, I just go emulate the best. Yeah, you know, like, like look someone at playing Arthur basketball saying, "I'm Bjorn not Michael Board, Jordan," or, or, you know, or, or Roger Federer, you know, or Martina you know, Navratilova. Like look at the look at the very best people and go, you know, there's no shame in you know attempting to. Uh, emulate, emulate, uh, you know, to the point of adulation, too, not to the point of Oasis, however, you know, yeah. where or really nerdy, you know, Beatles kind of bands driving you yeah. crazy, you know, too. But just to have that to just go well, it's like George Martin talked about this um, before he died. He said, The thing that irks me about newer music is that the melodies are not long you think of a song like strawberry fields forever and where it takes you on a journey rather than know some of those back and forth kinds of melodies like even echo and the bunny man who i love very much you know they're not really super elongated melodies which he he lamented the fact that people were not were writing stuff that was just you know, seesaw kind of cutesy or whatever. So t- to look at a melody and go, let me take you, you know, there's pun intended, <laughs> not just down, but on, on, on a kind of a, you know, on a kind of an ex- a, a sonic excursion, excursion, yeah. You know, and that's that's the goal. And nobody yeah. did it for me. Nobody did it better.
0: You're talking about the White Album, and I, I, I well, it was just like the song, like, why don't we do it in the road? That's just one phrase like repeated over and over, you know, or just things like that. But it, you know, there's not every song is, you know, it it doesn't seem to be at least like super well crap where there's a verse, chorus,
1: you know, it's just like. No, but that's a different kind of masterly element. There's a certain sort of, you know, um, insistent charm about that about that particular piece and it fits as it you know as a work of art you know as the the oeuvre in its entirety that fits very beautifully in there and it's short and it, you know i uh, like when people talk about that album and go, oh, you know, even George Martin, you know, disparaging it, saying it would have made a great single LP. No, no, thanks. You know, no, thanks. Not at all. <laughs> you like it in yes, that it original would. Form. Yes, it would. You know, yeah. it's you know, like I think McCartney himself has said, like, it's the White Album. What are you talking about? You know, it's, it's, it's an experience that I had when I was 11 years old when it came out at Christmas. And I really pretty much, you know, lost my mind on that and listened to it certainly you know obsessively i know i wore out a couple copies where i had to go mom i need i need to go to the record store i need we need to buy this record over i've It's it's it it, it's worn out now.
0: We talked about the Beatles a little bit, but what are the uh, as a as a young person, what were some of the bands that really spoke to you? Well,
1: you know, I grew up in the '60s in suburbia in Santa Barbara, California, so we were exposed, you know, through television to the Monkees, and um, because there were cool a couple cool record stores within bike riding distance, and you know, a single was ninety nine cents or less. Um, and albums were three dollars or four or whatever, um, and I and I lit, it depended in some part because the radio you know wasn't a whole lot of help, um, even though there might be some good stuff on AM radio, um, some bubblegumish stuff. The DJs couldn't be necessarily you know um, ours to tell you who it was, so. Um, uh, I, I always liked putting on a record and having that experience more than listening to the radio. I've got lots of friends, maybe you do too, a song comes on and they know every song that comes on the radio because they, they grew up on the radio and yeah. raised on the radio. That wasn't me. I liked records. Um, we listened to Credence like crazy. We listened to Jimi Hendrix over and over and over again. Of course, we listened to The Stones and freaked out at Satanic Majesty's the 3D um, thing. Um, I would say... Uh, sly in the family stone was a big um thing too because some of my my friends would have branched off into you know that that sort of thing um the beach boys as well the kind of thing that would have gotten me beaten up and and when i went by the time i got to prep school and everybody was listening to much more long-haired you know harder kind of stuff you know uh, i remember you know people just going like i can't I can't believe that you listen to and you know, we're segueing to the 70s you know i can't believe you're listening you know still to the beatles and the Beach Boys when there's, you know, Foghat and Skinner and Skinnered and all, all kinds of stuff too, but no, it just didn't, it just didn't touch me, you know, somehow. In the same way that punk didn't touch me, I'm a post-punk, you know, I just, all that stuff, we we were still in the folky, flowery, trippy, hippie kind of, you know, California rock thing um, when punk, happened in the late 70s and early 80s in Santa Barbara we were mostly blissfully unaware unaware of that until it you know it 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 sort of morphed into something for me that's more palatable with early U2 or the Bunnymen or the Cure or what have you
0: You mentioned the radio a little bit I just wanted to ask you what do you think is sort of drives the psychology of people like if you listen to classic rock radio they're playing the same songs that they've been playing for thirty yeah. years or whatever more now, but uh, why do people still want to hear the same song they've heard seven million times instead of something new?
1: I don't know. You sounds like embedded in the question is an answer. You've I guess. Got, you, I guess. What's, but yours, I just what's your theory? I'll throw that one back right back at you. Yeah. You, I think it, it must. It, it must. You know rankle or puzzle you somehow so what do you think what do you think do you i think it theory? just makes
0: people feel comfortable and yeah. if they make them feel comfortable and they know the words to it they feel like sort of they belong or it makes them feel like yeah just like you know uh, oh i've heard this before i like this song you know it, i know the words to it uh, you know um but it, it just the at people seem to be adverse to hearing new things at first but then you hear it a few times and then you're like, "Oh, that's actually kind uh, of cool."
1: And you can it finds a parallel in the fact that so much of life is not com- comforting is, "Oh my god, I got to go home and deal with the kids or uh yeah. oh, rent is coming up and uh, that's going to be a problem or um, we have to or, someone's told you we have to talk." I could never do <laughs> we have to talk because right. uh, you know, I I'm, I'm, well. I'm going to give you a million dollars, you know. <laughs> do we have to? So I think that that sort of comfort element of going, you know, that as a, to counterbalance all the various, you know, woes and ills of yeah. existence, people can turn to uh, like their familiar station of K L O S and hear the same Tom Petty songs or you know, Zeppelin songs or, or what have you that that we've all heard to t- to death. Yeah. And um. I don't know. It's just and and a sort of a sort of laziness and a commercial element of it uh, of it too. It's just it's what it's what plays in Peoria. So, give the people what they want, as yeah. Ray Davis famously said too. You know, I mean, not even not even the Kinks were you know considered classic rock. They don't get they don't get played. You know, beautiful songs like Waterloo Sunset or even You Really Got Me don't are hardly the hits of those. More you know Bob Seger. Uh, etc so Springsteen stuff too
0: What about physical copies of music? Do you think that that's gonna last the test of time? Like you had mentioned like the euphoria you felt when you got the White Album on vinyl Yeah I mean to this
1: day I do, you know even though I can't afford vinyl I mean I don't there's a number of I mean it's hard, it's hard to even buy certain CDs one of ours that Rob Campanella produced called Highs and Lows is on Amazon for $39 it came out in 2017 two years ago and it's $40 for the CD I don't own it I know that's why I checked to see what it was going for because yeah. I don't have a copy of it which happens so often a lot of times with artists who will just go you know somebody will ask you you'll know, from your personal collection or you do a gig or whatever and they'll want it and of course I want it in their hands rather than mine so you sell it to someone and then you're fresh out of it and then it's 40 bucks on Amazon. Wow, which is a terrible fate for anything as the writer Paul Thoreau said, you know, one of the worst fates for any book is for it to become rare. And it might be wow, you know, that sounds really cool, but it just means that it's, you know, it's out of print and it's, it's it hasn't been in demand. But I, you know, I hope that physical things won't go. A lot of times kids don't, you know, my son knows every indie band he keeps up so much turns me on to so much stuff and um he's he hasn't bought a record since for the last 15 years or maybe he bought a novelty one when we were in london together you know he found a split ends you know record and he, he wanted that but i i don't he hasn't got a record player he wanted it as an artifact yeah so i think you know in part this you know, uh, as my friend Liz Garrow, um, who's an industry person, great great person too, has said, you know, I think kids don't really think that they need to have to pay for music in a way or for films and things like that, too, when there's so many sites to just go and pirate, pirate stuff. So, um, I don't, know. I don't know, I don't have a crystal ball yeah, What's again? Yeah, I am going to throw it back at you Mark you what know, yeah, like, do you, I what do you know. think?
0: I don't know, like I released a tape I just came out with a small EP and like I'm bringing it around to record shops and they're taking like one at a time on consignment yeah, yeah. and i will be like I mean, that's, forever Yeah,
1: that's discouraging yeah. too, to have to go, but that's you're that's doing it. exactly what I did yeah. 30 years ago when yeah. I moved to LA I went and peddled cassettes and, and, and the one vinyl thing around to just go, hey, can I turn you onto this to turn it on to some other people and hand out a promo and you try to get them to take it. But that's great. That's very cool that you yeah. did a cassette. That's the cool thing to do. It was
0: cheaper. I couldn't afford to do the vinyl, and um you know, and I don't, and I don't mind doing that. And you know, pounding the pavement, handing out tapes. But I just wondered, you know, like the younger people. If they're even into it, you know. I don't like, know. Yeah.
1: I don't know because I don't. Yeah. I don't go yeah. to the hit. There's so many, you know, swinging dead armadillo, and you hit a bunch of record shops, <laughs> you know, around. And I don't. I don't go to them. I rarely go to Amoeba anymore. Yeah. Um. Either because I have. I, I have so much stuff, already, and. Um. I, d- I don't know. I've slowed down, but I, I, I feel as though I've paid my dues i've I, you come to my house any to any old time next time you're in echo park stop by um i just i have zillions of records and cds and cassettes i just i just bought a car that had a cassette player i'm nice. overjoyed because i kept all my cool. cassettes. yeah i'm revisiting you yeah. know everything everything that i had stuffed away in drawers and you know didn't uh, the, the the cassette deck i have in my home stereo is kind of wobbly i hope that people will want, we'll want to hold on to things that will that mean something to them. But I think that it's the sort of thing that unless you condition yourself to it and or have a community of people, the way that we might have done as kids where, you know, you, you have something and you share it with someone to just go like, look what I got. What did you get? Yeah. You know, or... Um, just just to go, you know, not necessarily to lend it to anybody, but just to go. Okay, wow, well, maybe I'll have to buy that myself to have that as part of my collection and yeah. have that something as you know to be part of your identity. I can't seem to stop buying books. I have yeah. so many more books than I can possibly read in a lifetime, and it oppresses me to think that I won't get to so many books. I know a lot of a lot of friends are the same way. Um, but I think thats it's a way for me to feel as though I will accomplish something if I i get a copy for $2 of Orwell's Burmese Days, you know, yeah. um, just for me to, ha- to have it. And you know, there's been times where I've sold books to bookstores or whatever when I was poor, and then a few months later just going, why did, why did I do that? I want yeah. that in my library. Are you reading it now? No, but I want it yeah. there because it's part of my you know, collection to impress myself with a shelf full of Martin Amis (laughs) novels or, you know, Virginia Woolf or something. So, I don't know. I think artifacts are really really good we just did a seven inch with a guy called Stu Pope he has a label called hypnotic bridge and he's obsessed with 66 to 67 that that, that's it that's his that's his he loves bands that that evoke that and he put out 10 singles this year and he doesn't you know like all of us he doesn't want to lose his shirt he's hoping to break even but he loves an artifact so very much that he wants to share that with the world you made an ep's worth of stuff you want people to hear it but also if they do hear it and like it they can have something with them you know to keep and or to the next time you make something and release it to go let me add this to that and it's all kind of just like a, a calling cumulative card. Yeah. sort of thing and it's that and it's that as well i mean it's just the, my back to my friend liz she just you know she's counseled many an artist and worked at labels and been done a and r and she goes just you gotta just keep putting keep on putting things out and I'm just that's that's the answer keep moving yeah keep producing keep keep releasing um that's that and let let other people decide and also grow for me grow uh, because it's the formula that worked slash didn't work you know to grow to grow up in public don't don't be so very precious and trepidatious about you know like having to have everything be perfect. Just you know it is it it is where you are at the time as as an artist. Have have the courage and have a little hoots, but kind of you know get that you know out and out out into the the atmosphere somehow to be part of the uh, conversation part of the equation and to set up the next thing in a way you know nobody got you know the beatles didn't get to the white album or sergeant pepper or abbey road if you want to consider that the masterpiece they didn't get there immediately they had to go through you know they didn't even get to the to, to meet the beatles you know or please please me you know without a heck of a lot of um maturation whether you know was was you know it was a, it was in public it just wasn't you know on on a piece of acetate just yet
0: is there an album that looking back at um the black watch that stands out to you that was particularly memorable to make that you really enjoy that you consider Maybe your white album?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, That's so... If I name one, the others will be terribly upset (laughs) at me. And I have such an, an almost indelible memory. I don't have that total disease... Um, that I remember everything that ever happened to me, but I remember, I feel as though I remember 90% of, uh, I certainly remember what people say all the time. They often go, I didn't say that. And I have to just say, (laughs) I don't forget stuff like this. Uh, I have a a, a remarkable memory. I mean, it's a curse of sorts too, because when bad things happen, you much rather than shake the loose from your brain. Um, But I don't think that there's been a single record that, that we made that was, that I, that I didn't enjoy because I'm a Virgo and we like to work. I retired from teaching, but I'd like to have a job. I might just go and work in a record store or some yeah. bookstore or something like that just to have, because I like working. I'm ambitious in that way. I, you know, I just, I I, I I like, I'm going off to the studio after we finish here to work some more on a new EP, and I really enjoy it, even if it's a struggle, even if it's a fight. Um I wouldn't. I mean, that's really up for up to certain people who have been longtime fans um, would cite a record called "The End of When" that came out on Pop Culture Press in something like 2015. Um, others who like more psychedelic stuff might. Think of the the highs and lows. Um, I have a soft spot for one called Lime Green Girl that came out in 2001. Um, that that had some a lot of Jana's guitar. Um, lots of bands think that the most recent thing that they did. If that was me, I would say Magic Johnson, the one that just came came out, or the one that's coming in January on a turntable. Friend from Germany called Brilliant Failures. I would say it's it's to come. Actually, that's that's the masterpiece, the one that's coming out this this January that we're very excited and fearful of. I mean I'm just thinking like, oh my God, don't get my hopes up again that this thing will explode just because I think that it's the best that we can do. It's the best we can do until the next thing I would say. Yeah. So yeah, I would say look forward to you know brilliant failures in in June of 2020 on a turntable friend records. that's uh, that's something that I think is maybe our our White Album, if I dare say that. But, you know, I'll never... I, I also said that I'll never do anything, you know, uh, as good as that, but that's, those, that, that's the handful of places to start because that does become daunting. I don't know if you've ever considered getting into a band like that's been overproductive like guided by voices or the fall, you know, or the kinks themselves have a zillion records from the seventies in particular that you may not even know. I know a lot of times, you know, people who want to like you go, Oh my God, I was going to get one of your records, but I didn't know where to start fearful that they're going to make a mistake and get the wrong one somehow. But you know, just get just my, my attitude is just get, I just discovered because I'm so I have such a lapsed, musical you know education sometimes in such gaps i just discovered fairport convention Excuse me, and I bought one record because there's so many good ones. Like you got to start somewhere, so I got Legion uh, and Leaf, and you know, and it's uh, people marvel sometimes. They go like, I can't believe you've never heard Fairport Convention. Like, no, I mean they just weren't. There's so much stuff out there, which is a great thing. You know, whenever you meet somebody who's never seen, especially a young person who's never seen a Hitchcock picture, I just or a Kubrick picture or whatever, you know uh I just go good for you. You have a whole world of wonderful stuff that you know that jaded I uh, will never have. I'll never see you know rear window again for the first time. But you will, and yeah, boy, get exciting. ready because you have such a treat ahead of you. So yeah, there. There's a long-winded cool. answer yeah, to your question. <laughs> Yeah,
0: uh, sure. what's next for the band after the album comes out are you going to do some shows well, gigs around to,
1: it's always very difficult to try to get um, a booking agent That's. it's easier to get a record deal these days in the, in America or in Europe or even Japan than it is to find somebody to get you on a tour and, and, and book you who's really competent and or powerful, who can muscle his or her way um, into some clubs. So if we can find someone to book us, I have a couple leads on some people in England and in Spain. It would be nice to go to Europe. You know We've played in England, but we've never played on the continent. So that would, that would be great. Um, I'm not sure that given the fact that um, two of the guys in the band own houses and are married, that the idea of doing a United States tour, unless we got to open for somebody, you know, big, like, deer hunter, are you listening? You know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, that that's, that that's a reality or something. I mean, I'd love to. I, I mean, I, I really like to play live. Um, but just the conditions have to be so so right and the competition is i don't know if you've checked lately you probably have um that there are so many bands out there that it's absurd um and it's just you have to be kind of lucky um to 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 find somebody with a lot of clout to book you somewhere but yeah we'd like to do that but i'm in the middle of making an ep um just with rob uh, campanella and, and i are just doing all the instruments um ourselves just because I'm retired from teaching and he does that as a, a, a for a living and he's produced a number of ours and he really loves my the writing and the band and he's a great musician and it's just easier somehow and more cost effective rather than rehearsing a bunch of songs. We have an indie disco song called Sticky that we're really, really hopeful of. But then again, you know, as I mentioned before, the artist doesn't know. Don't listen to the artist. He or she has no idea of what's, you know, good. We could put it out, and it could just really, you know, not be be a big, big disappointment. We'll see. But we have high hopes for something that's potentially disappointing. Isn't that kind of like life? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, yeah. you got to,
1: what gets you out of bed in the morning. High, you know, high or fair to middling, you know, kinds of hopes. You've got to have. You have to have those. You know. You have to have those, but prepare for them to be dashed.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Besides, you know, yeah, you can't probably have high expectations. You just got to keep making stuff. I then, do. And, yeah. I
1: have the highest expectations, yeah. but I know that I'm going to be, you know, I know that it's quite possible that they're that they're not going to be met. So that's not going to stop me from having them. Yeah. You know, somehow. I don't know what that, maybe that's just being quixotic or I'm foolish. Or who knows? So there you go. No, I
0: mean, I think there's, being optimistic is is good and you have to be, otherwise you could get sort of pummeled just with life and, and crap. Yeah,
1: I mean, the artists that I know who just kind of go, oh, this will never fly, no one will ever like this, no one will ever see this, I think that they're just, they really hamstrung themselves. Yeah. And, you know, let the world let the world do that. Yeah. Is what I say. Yeah.
0: Uh, is there anything you wanted to mention or talk about uh, um, before no, we did I think talk we co- about it? I think we covered yeah. it. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure yeah, this talking was great. to you. Yes. Thanks so much. Twitter there. Yeah.